Welcome, welcome, welcome to 2024. My name is Scroobius Pip. As I record this, it is New Year's Day. It's 8.08am. Nothing sounds better than an 8.08. And I'm out having a lovely, brisk morning walk. Specifically, to talk to you guys. It's the Films of the Year podcast, baby. One of the most popular episodes of the year. I hope this episode finds you well. It's been a hell of a year. High highs, but for me, fucking low lows too. And I'm sure that's for a lot of people. Not going to go into it in big detail. You had the drunk cast for that. But I hope you're all well, and I hope you all had a good New Year's Eve. And before we get into the the woods of it, a lot of you are often curious as to what my New Year's Eve film or films were. Wonderful ones this year, I must say. I got in three. I got a lunchtime one, and then I cooked my New Year's Eve meal. And I got my main choice in, and I cooked it quite early, so I had time for a second. So three, but yeah, you know, second of the evening. So first up at lunchtime, I watched Luke's Eterna. Um, That was the one thing missing from my Gaspar Noe um, film knowledge. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. But but what I really, really enjoyed was my main film of the evening, or the first of my two main films of the evening. Luke's Eterna is only like 50 minutes, so it's kind of a a long short. Taste of Cherry, Iranian film. That was my that was my main choice of the evening. Really good stuff. Great director who did a really kind of important film called Close Up, which I watched earlier in the year. And Taste of Cherry. I never want to give give much away. It's about a guy driving about trying to find someone. That's really vague, isn't it? It's a good film. And then the other film I watched was Only the Animals, which is a French film. And I really enjoyed it. It's a bit Coen Brothers-esque, I guess. It's a kind of a a crime mystery caper um, with many twists and turns that I found to be very enjoyable. So I recommend them. I recommend all three. Anyway, before we get into the meat of the podcast, as ever, you all know this, these are my films of the year, guys, and not necessarily your films of the year. So please don't reach out and tell me I've got it wrong, because I haven't. They're the films I've enjoyed the most of this year. It's, I mean, it's been one of my favourite years of films, I'll tell you that for free. It's been amazing. I said there's been high highs and low lows this year. One of the constants has been the great films. It was really hard to knuckle down my top 16, which is what this episode is. But yeah, it might not not match your, your top 16. There's certainly one thing. I mean, I'll tell you this now. Here's what the layout is going to be of the podcast before, after the music drops we'll get into it. I'm going to go through my honourable mentions quickly because there's a lot. I won't go into huge detail but um, I'll tell you them. 
I will then do my top 16 films of the year in a little more detail. I will then ruin Barbie for you. I'm putting that towards the end because, look, you'll hear Barbie made the long list. I really enjoyed Barbie. I had a great time in Barbie, but there were things I enjoyed a lot. There were things I enjoyed not quite so much. And there were things I found genuinely problematic. Um, And I'm going to talk to you about them, but I'm going to save it till the end because I don't want to start this off by ruining maybe one of your favourite films of the year. And then at the very end, I will list the full list of films I saw this year. The full list of new releases I saw this year in order I saw them. I saw a hundred films this year, a hundred new releases. So I feel I've got, I've covered it. Always gets confusing because there's films I've seen that aren't out until next year that can't qualify for this. For example, Poor Things, All of Us Strangers. They're not out until next year. So they aren't in the list. I've seen four films that come out next year in the UK and three of them are already in the run-ins for my films of the year list next year the year hasn't even started for god's sake outrageous yeah have I told you everything um I'm not going to post the picture of this for at least a week or two so um get your pen and paper out make note of what these films are if you are so inclined um I won't be providing a list for you I don't really use socials anymore so so I don't know if I'll actually post it anywhere permanently maybe in my discord which you can access via subscribing to twitch.tv forward slash scroobius pipio um I'll probably post it in patreon patreon.com forward slash scroobius pip and while I'm here you can buy my merch at speechdevelopmentrecords.com um yeah Have I pre-told you everything? As said, honestly, one of my favourite years of film. I think if I was doing films of the decade, a lot of films from this year would be in there. So that's hugely exciting for me. And for you, if you've turned up for a Films of the Year podcast, I assume you enjoy films. I mean, come on. What's the matter with you? Um, I use my Cineworld card a lot got an unlimited card at, at Cineworld that's my local cinema and I'm really l- l- lucky because my local Cineworld in Basildon screens a lot of like indie films and the more obscure films it doesn't just do the big blockbusters and it's weird there were a few films out this year that were on at my local one and I couldn't find them on anywhere uh, like anywhere else outside of London so I feel lucky for that um, I also got a picture house VIP card this year I've been enjoying that picture house in general have some really good stuff and the other main cinema I've visited has been the Everyman in Chelmsford I'm really picky on what I want to see in the Everyman oh I saw one film in the electric in Port Bella on the the beds that they have at the front and that was that that, it made the long list really good film really beautiful experience yeah, I'm picky on what I see at the Everyman because a lot of the time I do just want, you know, a sticky floor, traditional cinema. I'm not a fancy guy. I'm not a fancy guy, guys. 
But every now and then, every now and then, I fancy a sofa. I fancy a pizza brought to my seat. I fancy warm cookies with ice cream brought to my seat. You know, depends on the film, doesn't it? And speaking of films, buddy piece, drop the intro music. Right, here we are. We are in. We are in. We are locked and loaded. I have turned round on my walk because I was about to bump into two people. Um, and I feel like a wally walking through the field with my fluffy microphone cover. Oh, it's, there's three people and five dogs, I think. One, two, three, four, six dogs. Ooh, I should have gone in, I should have gone in. Right, let's start with the honourable m- m- mentions that made the long list. First of all, the first film I saw of the year, I think, The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix. Seems to have been really overlooked. I really enjoyed it. Women talking it was fantastic. That was the first film I saw at the Everyman this year. Um, Empire of Light, I really enjoyed Lovely to see Margate, a place that means a lot to me, that holds a lot of memories. Sharper on Apple TV was really good. Again, seemingly slightly overlooked. A really good, really well-woven mystery. Creed 3. I think it might have been my favourite of the Creed films. Very enjoyable. Broker made the long list. Really good, I think, Korean film um, about a guy essentially trying to sell an orphan (laughs) but it's genuinely really tender Pearl um, was really good, it made the long list Tetris, also on Apple I think really good, it's not what you think, it's really good Palm Trees and Power Lines I've not seen people talk about but that's a confusing one because it came out in America at least a year ago only just came out over here really enjoyed that Dungeons and Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves that was my big surprise of the year I didn't expect that to be good (laughs) I went in on my unlimited card because I was like "Ah, it's free essentially really enjoyed that I bumped into my mate Aaron afterwards I was was glowing from it Um, Air I really enjoyed Air Um, in a similar way to I enjoyed Tetris, both of them are kind of there's another one later on I enjoyed in a similar way but yeah, it's been a good year for um, really interesting films about real life events or moments the Super Mario Brothers movie really enjoyed it, it made the long list you might not agree, particularly if you're a parent who's watched it a thousand times now over the festive period How to Blow Up a Pipeline Really enjoyed that. I went to see that at the Peckhamplex. Yeah, good film. Polite Society. Polite Society almost made the list. Really good, just silly family action type action, I guess. Action comedy. Speaking of action, Sisu loved 
Sisu. I think this is another one that came out a while back in some countries, but only just came out over here. The Covenant I really enjoyed. I need to speed these up, don't I? Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Reality was really good. Sydney Sweeney proving um, her, her, her skill as an actor. Bowie's Afraid. I enjoyed Bowie's Afraid. Come on, it was bonkers. Re- Reality and War Pony I saw in the same day. War Pony was really good. Again, a bit of your, your City of God vibe with only two, but two kind of interweaving or two s- separate stories in the same place. Oh, it's windy. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Really enjoyed. It's a big Mission Impossible. I watched it with Lorraine Kelly. Missing, really enjoyed. Asteroid City made my films of the year. I made a conscious choice to be excited about a Wes Anderson film because I haven't in a while. And I go into them going, oh, it's, an, it's a Wes Anderson film. I used to be so excited about Wes Anderson films. But I tend to go in there going, oh, it's a Wes Anderson film, isn't it? But I consciously tried to enjoy that. And I did. Scrapper was fantastic really nearly made the final list um but we will kind of touch upon it later it's got harris dickinson in who i really enjoy and an amazing performance from a young young girl whose name i haven't noted because it didn't make my films of the year so i should have been more prepped but it will come up for a reason later oppenheimer and barbie i barbieheimered guys I barbenheimered, barbenheimered, I barbenheimered. On my birthday of all days, it was a glorious thing. Obviously, it's a bit mad that Oppenheimer didn't make my films of the year. I enjoyed it, it was wonderful. But I'm getting more and more on my films of the year. Like, what's the point in me picking Oppenheimer and, and talking to you about Oppenheimer? It was huge. It's been talked about ad nauseum. You don't really need me going, oh, I tell you tell you what that was a good film <laughs> I'll tell you what tell you who knows how to make a film Christopher Nolan you know that Pathan almost made my films of the year a great action b- Bollywood bit of nonsense it's on Prime I think and I think you know oh god I'm going through a very muddy bit oh Jesus it's on Prime and I think you'll have a wonderful time watching it. It's not not too many more, I promise. Dumb Money is the other one that would would come under the same list as Air and Tetris. Dumb Money I went to see when I wasn't in the best of moods. My head was a bit all over the place. And I really enjoyed it, I really needed it. Reptile, really enjoyed that on Netflix. Seems to have been a bit overlooked. It's, it's uh, your man Benicio Del Toro. I hadn't forgotten his name there. I've just got a stammer. The Creator was the one I saw at the Portobello Electric Cinema. Really good film. Really, really enjoyed that. That was close to making the list. Yeah, just big, big, big looking sci-fi done in a really independent and grounded way. Yeah, I recommend it. The Passenger, I really enjoyed. Not seen anyone talk about The Passenger. It's a uh, really interesting film about essentially a guy who flips out um, and goes on a killing spree but kidnaps a workmate along the way. It's very enjoyable. Killers of the Flower Moon. Once again, 
you don't need me to tell you that's great. You don't need me to tell you old, old Marty Scorsese knows how to make a film. Um, the Killer, I really enjoyed. I think I'm glad I saw it in the, the cinema because the pacing is quite... I like a, sl- a slow-paced film. The pacing is quite gentle at times. But, um, you know, everyone's a bit distracted these days, so it might not have landed as well at home for me. But I'm sure it will for you. Bottoms, very nearly made my films of the year. Great teen comedy is essentially all I'll say there. It's got the girl off Shiva Baby and the girl off The Bear. Fantastic stuff. Eileen, really nearly made my films of the year. Really enjoyed Eileen. You heard me talk about it earlier in the year with William Oldroyd. Fair Play is a film. That's not just me saying that. Fair Play is on Netflix. And again, it's another one that seems overlooked. This was right up to the wire on making my films of the year. The Marvels, I really enjoyed. Apparently, it's been a big flop. I thought it was one of the most enjoyable Marvel films in a while. I thought all three of the leads were so good, particularly Miss Marvel, absolute superstar show stealer. Yeah, I recommend it. May, December. I enjoyed May, December. (sighs) I need to get to the end, so I'm not going to say a lot more on that. I enjoyed The Lost Boys. Really good, is it a French film? Belgian film? It's not obviously the old film Lost Boys. It's about some kids in a child detention centre. Leave the World Behind on Netflix really nearly made my list. The Obamas did a production deal a while back with Netflix and they've been making some good films, one of which was Leave the World Behind. Another one was Rustin, also really good. But Leave the World Behind is a good little... Thriller, I guess. Really enjoyed it. Clock and Clock and Luda. Neil Maskell's debut as a director. Really good film. Um, it's about a couple who have been put in there. A couple of whistleblowers who have been put into witness protection ahead of them blowing the, 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 their whistle. And it's a great little it's kind of dark comedy, kind of bleak, but really good. I recommend that a lot. I feel that's one I've not heard too many people mention. um, And it's really good. Seek it out. And then the last four I've got, I've got Rustin. I've got The Boy and the Heron. Wonderful Studio Ghibli. I've got Rebel Moon, which has got really mixed reviews, but I really bloody enjoyed it. It's a big world-building sci-fi for a lot of exciting stuff ahead. I thought Sophia... Butella was amazing in it. I thought Charlie Hannan was amazing in it. But particularly, my boy Ed Scrine, he played your traditional boots-on-the-ground tough general bad guy as a fucking shit-grinning Tory. And I thought it was fantastic. Um, But the final one that didn't make the list, and I'm leaving this till last because it was on... I put it in my original artwork... That's how close it was to making my films of the year. It was Maestro. I loved Maestro. It battled, as said, on my original, like two days ago, I wrote up, my, I, I, I whittled it down to my top 16. Maestro was in there. I made the artwork to post on, on socials or whatever at some point. And it was in there. It was in, it was in the 16. And then I ummed a nerd and I was like, you know what? It's just missed out. 
because there was a film I enjoyed more, I think. Again, Maestro was astounding. I don't know how Bradley Cooper has done that as writer, director and lead. It's truly astounding. Carrie Mulligan is amazing. We all know that that Carrie Mulligan is amazing. Shout out to all the Mulligans. But yeah, really astounding. I recommend putting your phone face down and popping it on Netflix. It's a it's a hell of a ride. It's really good. But it didn't make the list. So let's get on to the big list. We're already 25 minutes in and I've not technically started. So let's start with Infinity Pool. Another one I'm not seeing in a lot of end of year lists, but it came out really early and I was taken on a ride. I chatted to Brandon Cronenberg about this on the podcast earlier in the year. You will have heard how excited I was to get insights on this mad, weird, dark, troubling, sexy film. Mia Goff is just, you know, astounding with their performances and and, uh, role choices in recent years. Alexander Skarsgård, who is Vampire Eric of True Blood... What's not to like? Love Vampire Eric. Love Skarsgård. He's another one. that I've said before, I think there's few people who are capable of doing what he does, right? There's few people of his physical attributes who can also put in the performances he puts in. Whether it be in The Northman, whether it be in Infinity Pool, whether it be in Succession. This is a huge, muscly, handsome dude classic Hollywood action star looks and build and just astounding acting ability. Yeah, it's surreal, it's strange, it's visually affecting and I really enjoyed it. Big recommend. Next up is Close, a Belgian film by a guy called, a director called Lucas Daunt. Daunt? Not sure if I've said that right. Daunt? Really beautiful film, really tender and gentle. It's about, it's like the two lead performances are from young kids. And it's just, it's something else. It's about friendship, same-sex friendship as kids. Really beautiful, really tender and beautiful. It's about two young kids who are best mates. And then a kind of potentially mocked a little bit are they gay are they straight how close are they and it really tells that story beautifully and gently and tenderly i keep saying tender but it's a very tender um offering yeah really beautiful film it it won a load of awards but again it was early in the year so it's not maybe being talked about as much another one that's won loads of awards and was early in the year is a thousand and one now, from a director called A.V. Rockwell, who I'm not familiar with, lead performance from Tiana Taylor, who I first became aware of when Kanye's Fade video came out. So Tiana Taylor was previously like a dancer and a model, and that Fade video was just astounding because the way she moved, the way she was put together, it felt like looking at the future of human evolution. It was amazing. But what no one knew really until this year 
was the acting performance that that Tiana could put in because she really leads this it's all on her sh- her shoulders and it's a dark heavy film it's about a young woman who's just got out of of um, a correctional stay and is trying to find their child and get them back and then a load of stuff unfolds it does the moonlight thing of if we get kind of three, I think, iterations of the of of, of the child's ages, we jump along. Um, all three of the kids perform it amazingly. Is it three? Do we get a flashback, the initial, and then the th- a third further on, or is it young, older, older? I can't remember. But yeah, it's dark and it's it's heavy. It's about struggling. It's about you know, it's about exploitation and racism and and uh, the the housing system and the power the landlords can have. It's about, you know, all sorts of addiction. It's a cracking film, really good. And that lead, lead performance from Tiana Taylor is rightfully winning a lot of praise and a lot of awards. This is another one that was on at my local... My local Cineworld in Basildon. Small screen. Like, they've got, I think, six small screens. And, yeah, I'd heard a little bit of hype about this. I assumed I was going to have to go into London to see it. And, lo and behold, it was on at my local. So, yeah, really enjoyed that. What's next? Night of the Twelfth. A French film by Dominic Moll, who is the director of one of my New Year's Eve films, Only the Animals. And I only realised that when I was making my notes to do this after I'd watched it. So I watched it because it looked good and had hype. And Dominic continues to be really good at just telling interesting stories. It's a murder mystery, essentially, or a crime a crime drama. Not a murder mystery, a crime drama. A young woman on the night of the 12th, a young woman has been killed and we're trying to figure out who who done it. Um, and you've seen that a million times in British TV and cinema and French and uh, Danish, Swedish, Nordic TV. But I feel they did something really interesting and beautiful with this. And there's a moment, again, I don't want to give any spoilers. There's a moment that has got a really good line from our chief detective. And I feel it was the kernel of all that all that popped out of this story afterwards. It feels it feels like this one line is the whole point of the film. And it's really powerful. You'll know it, I think you will. But yeah, it's really good. It's a genuinely intriguing crime drama that makes a really good statement and comment on society and on how things are. Um, and that's good. A lot of times, I love a film that's making a statement and making a point. I love a film that isn't. But a lot of the times, a film that's making a statement and making a point will drill that home, will will have that as the only thing it's doing, really. This, that point and statement. And maybe it was an afterthought, but it just really, it sits really nicely. Yeah. Good film. Again, my little uh, and world. shout out to all the staff who have to see me far too often coming in, flashing me unlimited cards. 
getting my discount on sweets still often just pop into asda beforehand and getting my own extra cheap but you know support cinemas and all that speaking of which next up is rye lane which i saw that a little while after i'd been to the peckhamplex for the first time and rye lane the film is shot on every street surrounding the Peckhamplex. I saw at the time that Rye Lane was on at the Peckhamplex and it remained on the whole year. And I was like, that's a bit weird. Um, it's good to support local cinema, but this is a bit... Honestly, the Peckhamplex is a key part of the film. But it's a really beautiful film by Rain Allen Miller, who I wasn't f- f- familiar with prior to this. Starring David Johnson, who's the reason I went to see it. I loved Industry. I think Industry is a fantastic show. I think David is fantastic in it. And Vivian Opera. And it's just a rom-com. It's just a rom-com, but it's in Peckham. (laughs) And it's in Lane, which has a big immigrant community. So it really feels authentic and warm and lovely it bubbles with culture uh it's really genuinely funny and genuinely warm and beautiful it's very silly it's an absolute joy mate it's an absolute joy i remember watching it and just bloody beaming everything about it everything about that that uh, that that experience um i can't recommend it enough it's really lovely to counter a lot of the heavy films I'm I'm putting out here The the Night of the Twelve A Thousand and One these are some great films but some heavy films Rye Lane is bright and beautiful it's colourful and joyous it is about heartbreak (laughs) it's a rom-com as many are that is primarily about heartbreak but um, so often out of the uh, manure of heartbreak. Beautiful plants. They grow. Um, I used to be a poet, FYI, in case you're wondering. Another great experience now. Talk to me, okay? I think l- last year there was a fair few horrors on the list, and I'm not that much of a horror guy. A lot of people now assume I'm a horror guy. But horrors are coming into my films of the year list year after year. Horror is a genre where they're just doing good shit at the moment. This is directed by the, the Philippou brothers, who are like YouTube stars in Australia, down with all your Jake Pauls and that lot, which is weird because it's not who I would have expected. As I said, it's an Australian horror, Australian horror stars a star-making performance from... Sophie Wilde and a really important performance from Zoe Terex Um, because as a side note before I get into it this film was not released in certain countries because of of Zoe because Zoe is trans now there's no mention of the character being trans I don't think from my memory it's not like it makes a big point or deal of it but this actor happens to be trans and therefore a nation, I can't remember which, refused to show it or release it 
And what a pressure to have on your sh- your shoulders. But they handled it really well from their socials and kind of said, look, you know, fuck them. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it's not about that at all. It's a horror and it feels really modern and fresh. I recommended it to Chris Glasson, friend of the podcast, because he's my horror go-to. Or him and Jed Shepard are my horror go-tos. I recommended it to Chris. He watched it and loved it too. For all all these reasons, it felt fresh, modern. It felt like... So essentially, there's a hand, that this porcelain hand, that if you grab it and do a certain ritual, you you can talk, talk to the dead. But it's realistic of what would happen now like it it blows up as a thing on tiktok and people are using it at parties and doing this like this is mad look you get you know all all kind of questions is it real are people just faking it and trying to go viral and all that and then shit gets heavy and dark and it's really good again i would say that's maybe my favorite cinema experience of the year hello mate you're right. <laughs> a dog c- c- curious of the man walking along, t- talking into his hand. I'd say that was my favourite cinema experience of the year. And it was a busy c- a cinema. I had, to fr- I had to front row it. I had to fucking fr- front row it. And, and, and yet, probably my favourite cinema experience of the year, if I had to pick a singular film of the year, it would be between this... And one other, I think. Really good film. And again, it's on Netflix now. So pop your phone on, on silent and on face down. You made me jump there, mate. <laughs> this, this cute little guy is defending his owner from me. Because I'm obviously a weirdo in the woods, chatting away. Cool, he made me jump. I'm just speaking about a horror. And then a dog sneaks up behind me and goes, oh. um, yeah, Cr- cracking film. Once again, I can't recommend it enough. Right, where are we? Oh, here we go. Here's the other film that I'd say, no, there's a load more. <laughs> I was going to say the other f- film that if I was to pick one, that would be my film of the year. It might be this. No, there's loads. I'm looking through. There's at least four more. But this one is Passages by the director Irish Axe. It's a French Anglo film with Ben Wishaw, who's amazing, and Frank Rogowski, who I think is currently the best actor in the world. I think it's between Frank Rogowski and Liv Lisa Fries. I think they're probably the two most exciting actors for me at the moment but Passages is um, someone I saw someone post that it's been a big year for chaotic bisexual stories (laughs) because Maestro is that Um, another film that's going to come up is that and this is that essentially it's a oh it's so good the lead guy played by Rogowski one of the two leads I guess probably really thinks he loves deeply and rawly and emotionally and Ben Wishaw is your more pragmatic um, partner 
and that kind of unfolds. It's really beautiful. Some of the crop tops as well, some of the outfits, I tell you. The, the sex scenes, both hetero and gay, really beautiful and really, yeah, kind of had a feel of sex scenes I've not seen before or had a feel I've not seen in sex scenes before. I just felt very real. I discussed them in an upcoming episode with Andrew Haig, who's one of my favourite directors of all time, by the way. So I've just casually dropped in that that episode's to come. It was hugely exciting. Um, yeah, big recommend on, on, on passages. Um, and an equally big recommend on past lives. Celine Song, uh, I believe, wrote and directed. Amazing performances from Greta Lee... TLU and John Magaro. I held off on this for a while because I heard all this hype about it. Everyone was like, oh, past lives is amazing. It's beautiful. It's this story of lost love. And I was like, all right, whatever. Fucking sounds fucking boring. I watch films made by YouTubers. I'm young and hip. <laughs> and then I went to see it and it was fucking beautiful. It's about a woman woman who is Korean and her family moved to America when she was a teen and she's got her life and her partner and then she reconnects with her kind of high school love and it's about that it's about it's about is that the beautiful love story is it is it the throwaway teen emotions and it just tells that really beautifully um one of the things i talked to andrew haig about is his ability to use silences between people for really emotional to get a lot of emotion across because the real the reality is particularly in relationships you get a lot across in your silences it's not all about these big wonderful speeches all the time it can be about the the quiet moments um, and whether that be moody quiet moments or beautiful quiet moments, or whether that be post-sex post or pre-argument, which aren't always two different silences. Um, <laughs> it can be really beautiful. And, and Past Lives has one or two of those that are just astounding, the amount they get across. Um, there's language barriers in this, which really put some really good juxtapositions into play and then just sits with them yeah again it's a film that's getting on a lot of end of year lists it's getting a lot of of praise and love um and rightfully so give it a fucking look um if you you know this comes out the first of the first week of jan of jan actually comes out on the third it's a quick turnover this year you're not far from uh from valentine's day a Past Lives and Rye Lane, Double Bill, uh, Page in the Prince Charles Cinema. What's going on? Pop that on. Rye Lane and Past Lives, Double Bill. Fling passages in there. Past Lives, Passages, Rye Lane. That's a really... It's all together in the alphabet. So we can go Passages, then Past Lives, then, then Rye Lane. Yeah. Good films, good films. Now, this is your real... This next one is your real Valentine's Day movie. Rotting in the sun. This and Passages and Talk to Me 
and one more that's that's going to come later are probably the four that if I had to pick, if I had to pick a top five, I'd maybe say, talk to me, rotten in the sun, passages, maybe past lives, and one that's coming up towards the end. But rotten in the sun is a ride. I don't want to say too much more than that. I was aware of Rotten in the Sun because of Jordan Firstman. I'm a big fan of Jordan Firstman. He's he's on Instagram. I guess he's an influencer. He often gets drunk and does impressions that are weird. It'll be like, this is my impression of... I I can't think of any examples. (laughs) That was was useless. Um, He does really weird, silly impressions, but he's... A glorious, beautiful, funny, gay, Jewish man. I think that's everything. He's American. So I was aware of Jordan, and then this film started to get loads of hype called called Rotten in the Sun, directed by Sebastian Silva. It's a Mexican-slash-American jaunt. And the initial hype was it's the most... You know when Predator came out and it was like it's the most deaths in cinematic history this was getting hyped because it's the most dicks in cinematic history there's a lot of dick a a beautiful amount of dick i'd say a beautiful amount of varied dick not all dick is beautiful i guess it is in its own own right um but yeah it's casting a look at influencer culture aware how that affects art how that runs up against art, film and cinema and TV and things like that. Film in particular was once very much art-focused, now has to become numbers-focused, audience-focused. It looks at all of that and then takes you in some directions you wouldn't expect. I fucking loved it. I was meant to go to the fucking... The, the UK kind of pr- premiere that, that Jordan was going to be at or was at, gave like a speech. I think Robert Patterson was there. Um, I was meant to be going with, with, with Natasha Fox, who some of you will know from singing on my Distraction Pieces album. And I got fucking COVID, didn't I? I was convinced I was going to meet Jordan and become best mates. At one point, I was talking to, to my boy Sam at Picture House about potentially uh, hosting the Q&A, which I would have loved. I, I mean, to, to, to be clear, I put myself up for that. <laughs> but yeah, I was convinced that me and Jordan were going to become the best mates. Like, we're both quite hairy, dark hair, hairy guys. Yeah, but there we go. There we, there we, we bloody go. I didn't, but I would have loved to have seen that in the cinema. I watched it on Mubi. Mubi I'm a big fan of, streaming service. Some of the best independent film from across the world. Straight to your living room. Movie. Check it out. It feels like it's been one of their big films of the year. And as I said, more films like this need to be made. It takes risks. It does not give a fuck. Really good. Really bloody good. Interesting, I guess, that this is, as I said, kind of influencer-led. Because Jordan's attachment, I'm sure, is what made it... It was one of the things that made it get funding and so on and so forth. And 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 talk to me. I said, I didn't re- re- realise until after I'd seen it that it's a couple of YouTubers. It's a couple of YouTubers, lads. It's out there making films. 
some of you will know my fo- focus of the whole last year has been trying to get a film made it continues on to next year it will continue on for a long time I feel it's a fucking hard thing to do so when people can find good ways to get the funding and marry that with really exciting and original ideas I love it I love it let's go to Saltburn I really enjoyed Saltburn you will have heard me talk to Emerald Fennell about it earlier in the year it was fantastic the performances from specifically Barry Keoghan but also Jacob Elordi everyone else Richard E. Grant you know loads of really good people in this I thought it's fantastic. I believe I've I've I, I've since heard it's had mixed reviews, but I loved it. It was a joy. Um, I saw a preview screening of it, and I really was just yeah, sat there with a big grin on my face from start to finish. I feel it looks beautiful. It felt sexy and confusing and wrong. In places, in places I felt I shouldn't be looking and I reveled in looking. Really good film. It's on Prime now, I believe. Um, it's blowing up. Um, it, it, it turns out it's quite a memeable film. There's been a lot of memes blowing up about it. Boy Soup, etc. Really good. Again, this is another one. Along with, yeah, another one that comes under the... the, the the chaotic bisexual it's the year of the chaotic bisexual um but this is a real kind of it's a young man i've not told you anything about it it's a young man from liverpool that goes to a posh school and meets loads of rich people and gets kind of taken in by them and befriended by them are they liking him because he's their little poor pet? Is he happy with that? How does he change himself to to fit into their world and to appeal to their world? What are his intentions in this, this world? Is he adjusting his persona because of his own vulnerability in that situation? Is he exploiting his new his new friends? What's going on here? Who is he? Who is this young man? But that young man is Barry Keoghan and he is glorious. I had Barry on the podcast maybe six years ago with Bart. But yeah, um, all the way back then, I was like, this kid is just something else. I, I, I chat about him actually in the first episode of, first guest episode of the year is with Joel Edgerton who's amazing. Oh, it's such a g- g- good episode, guys. You've got that that next week to look forward to. Joel Edgerton g- gave me 90 minutes and we proper got into it and there's some really weird coincidences as well. But anyway, not here to talk about that. We talk about how great Barry is um, and how they should, should work together. I do feel if they do end up working together, I should be involved as well because we talked about it, okay? Okay. Okay, it's agreed. Um, I keep checking the battery. We're approaching the hour mark. I'd say this is going just right. Next up, a film I've not seen mentioned anywhere. (laughs) 
but I adored, so I'm going to sh- shout it at you, a fire. Christian Petzold is a German director who I think, again, is one of the best. It was his films in which I discovered Frank Rogowski. His films include Transit, Barbara, Undine, Jerichow, or Jerichow. Really good director, really good at just creating instantly engaging characters. Paula Beer is in this film as well, was also in Undine, 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 I don't know. But this is a story, again, <laughs> there's, there's bisexualness in this and there's chaos. It's a story about a writer, a young writer, who is going away to finish off his second novel, staying at his friend's mum's kind of holiday home near the beach, in the woods but near the beach. And there is a young woman, another friend of the family, already staying there. There, A forest fire comes about and they kind of all get stuck. But it's mainly about kind of the arrogance of writers. I think I think it's probably a tough watch for a lot of writers because it really, it repeatedly shows how we see ourselves as the centre of every story, as the key, as the driving f- f- force, as the artist. And then it kind of laughs at that repeatedly and says, shut up, give your head a wobble. But, but yeah, I really enjoyed this. Just characters I wanted to spend time with. It's always been a big thing for me. It's the reason Justified is one of my favourite series of all time. That return this year with the worst name ever, Justified City Primeval. What? But it was really good. Um, but yeah, they just I love it when there's just characters that I instantly want to see more of, spend more time with pastime with a fire there it is um i I mean i should note at this point all of these films if you do watch any of them i've mentioned it once or twice a lot of them are going to be out of the cinema now you watch them at home put your phone on silent and face down and give them the 90 minutes to two three hours that they deserve. It's worth it, I promise you. Because that's the only way you can really judge any of these offerings, is if you're taking them in properly. I know there's a school of thought, and I agree with it, that if you're you're glancing at your phone, it's not held you, it's not drawn you in. And that's true a lot of the time, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes I've just got a busy mind and a lot's going on. Last night's films, I loved them both. I was very distracted because of an another film idea I've got not the one I'm trying to get made at the moment but a future film idea that one of these informed so it was sending my mind off on spirals and they were amazing films speaking of amazing films I should speed up How to Have Sex is astounding Molly Manning Walker I think in their directorial debut oh a squirrel they were the DOP the director of photography on Scrapple which I mentioned earlier and Mood, which was a series I really loved. I had, had, had Nicole Leckie on to talk about it. 
a while back. I bumped into Nicole actually um, up at the fringe this year, called Lecky, as she's more known. Um, this film's amazing. Star making performances from Maya McKenna Bruce and Sean Thomas, who I was already a fan of because of he was in in Ladhood alongside Samuel Bottomley, who's in this, and Liam Williams, who was on the podcast previously to talk about Ladhood because I enjoyed it so much. But yeah, How to Have Sex is a British film that's winning so many awards and nominations, and it deserves even more. It's some girls going away on their first girls holiday to I can't even remember where they go it's it's your Magaluf Ibiza vibe and there's some lads doing the same and it essentially this isn't really a spoiler it's called how to have sex it looks at sex in those situations and consent and it looks at it in a really nuanced and complex way me and and Chris Glasson have spoken before. When, like, scandals come out about someone being a piece of shit abuser, we've talked before about how do they fucking sleep at night, you know, knowing they've done this or whatever else. And this film, weirdly, this this sounds like a weird thing, but it kind of helps you understand that a little bit because it does, there's... There are, don't get me wrong, this is no... <laughs> rape apologist film but it for me kind of showed the nuance and complexity just enough to make me understand how someone would maybe walk away going well i think i think that was all right yeah that was yeah everyone was into that yeah 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 do you know what i mean it's really interesting really good film and it felt so real you can compare the feeling to one of last year's films of the year after Sun, um, of just it feeling like, how was this even scripted? This feels like you've just filmed all this happening. It feels like a f- fucking documentary. The performances, again, are amazing and nuanced and s- subtle and realistic. Again, every person you, you, you see there, you've known someone. Yeah, you've known someone like that, s- s- sadly maybe without realising, you know. Really good film, really important film, I feel. Um, Obviously huge trigger warnings, but I don't know, man. Kind of like um, I May Destroy You, right? Huge trigger warnings, but also, I don't know. I feel the end result for a lot of people would potentially be worth the potential discomfort but fuck that don't, I mean I don't know shit fuck me I don't know I, I, I worded that poorly I just think it's really good and really powerful and I think it really comments beautifully not in a trauma porn kind of way not in a grief porn trauma porn type way it's not reveling in isn't it f- 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 fucked up what happens it's going look have a look at this it's, it's complex isn't it and shit yeah fucking good film it's another one that would probably be again there's a lot that would be battling for my if i was to choose one um next up now this is the one that came in last minute i said maestro was originally on my list and i looked at my list and i went you know what i bloody loved dream scenario christopher borgley norwegian director 
everyone's saying the best Nicolas Cage performance in years, the best Nicolas Cage film in years, arguably the best Nicolas Cage comedy performance ever. The basic story that you'll see in the trailer is Nicolas Cage is just like a teacher, I think a, a psychology teacher or something at a school, and he starts appearing in people's dreams, unbeknownst to him. And then gradually this goes viral because people all over the world are having him appear in their dream. Again, he's not got any any control or awareness. It's just a dream. It's like if I dream about... I need to... It's like if I dream about Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage isn't going to be aware. Um, so he just starts appearing in everyone's dreams and he's not not doing anything. He's just there in the background and he kind of goes viral and gets famous for this and then it all unfolds um it's really good fun it's a really great setup and scenario it felt groundhog day in that way i've spoken before that i want to come up with a groundhog day idea and by that i don't mean i want an idea that's you're living the same day over and over again i don't want to make like what i like about groundhog day is it's an idea that became its own genre You've now got the Lazarus Project, which is amazing. Um, you've got Happy Death Day. You've got Live, Die, Repeat, all of these things. So, yeah, it's got that feel that it's a concept. It's like, oh, man, that's mad. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Cracking film. I do need to speed through a bit. We're, we're 70 minutes in and I've got, I've got some shit to talk about. Oh, I've only got four left. Next up is Anatomy of the Fool. Of a Fool. Juliet Treat. Trait as the director, amazing lead performance from Sandra Hewler, who is in Zone of Interest, which I've not seen yet. That comes out next year over here. I'm sh- Everyone's hyping the fuck out of that. But she was in Edge of War with George McKay, who I will be talking about, and, and Liv, Liv Lisa Fry, who I mentioned earlier. Her performance in this and the performance of the kid, I think it was Milo Mercado Grainer, is amazing. It's it, essentially, again, you get this early. Her character, her husband and her son live kind of out in the sticks, in the ice and snow. Her husband f- f- falls f- from a balcony and dies. It is then a case of, was this an accident? Was she involved? What's their history? It's an investigation. It's a court case. It's a journalistic investigation. And it's just amazing. It's really good. It's really bloody good. Yeah. It's, again, it's another one of those films like Past Lives that was suddenly getting its cinema run extended and extended and extended. And you go and say it and you see why. Really good. Really engaging storytelling. Really... nuanced and original feeling twists and turns and performances cracking stuff right I keep putting my phone away it's got these on alright yeah next up Femme and I will say now I talked to Andrew Haig about this what an era we are in for queer cinema Femme blew me away it's maybe the film i shouted about the most to get people to go and see because it's a british film it's independent 
It's fantastic. It's original. It's, it, originally, it was a, sh- a short with my boy, Paparese Ayadu and Harris Dickinson, who I think is fantastic. It's by Samuel H. F- Freeman and Ung Chu Ping. Ung Chu Ping. And it's so good. It's about identity. It is about sexuality. It's about gender, I guess, in ways, or gender stereotypes. But the journey that these characters take you on, the feelings I have for one character in particular at one point in the film versus the feelings I have for them at another point in the film, it's just an astounding journey of storytelling, character development. At no point does it feel like it takes crazy, wild, unrealistic leaps. It all feels so viable. But it blows my mind that I can go from feeling so strongly one way to so strongly another way. And if you see this and wish to discuss it in greater detail, we can do that. (laughs) But I'm trying to avoid spoilers here. But there was a particular scene that I was like, oh my fucking God. How have they got me here? How have they got me here from there? How am I having this emotional reaction? And again, it's just, again, I keep talking about it. It's what is a buzz for me. It's a silent scene. It's a scene that has no dialogue. It's just a moment that I'm like, fucking hell. Wow. It's really good. It's really good. Um, George, have I mentioned... George McKay and Nathan Stewart Jarrett George has been on the podcast you all know I'm a big fan of George I think Nathan is astounding I really enjoyed Culprits on Disney Plus this year um, with another person I'm a huge fan of Neve Algar yeah this is this is a film and a half um, great poster too <laughs> just as a note um, I know John Atfield Art I'll appreciate that great poster right are we on to my final one we're on to my final one the final film on my films of the year list is a film that came out quite early in the year over here and it took me a while to watch I watched it at home on the BFI player Godland it's a Danish Icelandic film by Hilna Palmerson um, starring Elliot Crossett Hove who was in The Bridge which is one of my favourite series he was in the later series of The Bridge which is a Danish-Swedish crossover but the Danish-Icelandic kind of the crossover nature is a key part of this because it is about Danish it's back I guess kind of is it 1800s it's a Danish priest uh, pilgrimaging to Iceland to build a church. It's the people who become his guides, his kind of almost Sherpa-esque role in getting him across this, particularly in that era, cruel and dangerous terrain. Wow, it's so good. It's so good. He goes on a hell of a journey. Literally and figuratively, guys. 
the, obviously the scenery is beautiful, but just the journey he goes on with one or two of the other characters in it is really amazing. And it's all based off these, I think, eight f- photographs that were found. So it's it's a story kind of inspired by true events, but then completely fictionalised, because all they have is these eight photographs. Because this guy, uh, uh, this priest carried a big... You know the old school camera where it's you put the little the blanket over your head and then you you take out the the um, the plate, expose it, and then you put the plate in and you seal it up and you go and develop it under another little blanket. So yeah, on, he took that big camera set up on this journey and took some photos along the way. And these photos were found with very little information. And that's where this story was was born, and it's amazing. As I said, it's an amazing story, an amazing um, journey. So there we go. Godland completes my films of the year. Let's run through them for you, for you lot who haven't got, didn't take a pen out. Infinity Pool, close, 1001. The Night of the Twelfth, Rye Lane, Talk to Me, Passages, Past Lives, Rotting in the Sun, Saltburn, A Fire, How to Have Sex, Anatomy of a Fall, Femme, Dream Scenario, and Godland. There we go. There we bloody go. I'm going to now pause my recording, but you won't know. It's just I can see the battery light is flashing, and I'm yet to ruin Barbie for you. Um, so, buddy Peace, would you like to play your um, your films to be buried with Pearl and Dean? cut up here just sling it in Brett won't mind Brett won't mind I made Brett I didn't make Brett Brett won't mind pop that in here as a little transition and then we'll talk about Barbie and I'll give the full list of the hundred films I saw this year Okay, we're back. I can't recommend films to be buried with enough. Brett's Films of the Year episodes with Nish Kumar are fantastic. So if you've got some space in your podcast schedule around fucking August, when they probably get around to recording it, check that out. Um, Okay, Barbie. Okay, come on. Come on. Sit down. It's going to be okay. Sit down. Um, as I said, I really enjoyed parts of Barbie. I'm, I'm just Ken is oh, it's a hell of a song. Um, Gosling is amazing. I think Margot Robbie was the perfect choice for this because, similar to what I spoke about with Alexander Skarsgård earlier, she's someone who has the natural attributes, just this insane beauty, but also the ability to pull off these moments of nuance and these powerful performances. However, I was shocked as I was watching it that the right had been protesting up in arms over it and the left hadn't. Because I felt there were certain bits that were just 
the, like the the point where l- literally Barbie puts her arm around Ken and Ken's like, but you know, it's tough to be a guy. And she's like, I know it is, but you know, I know it's tough to. It, it felt unnecessary. Like it is an exaggerated film, you know. Don't. It's, it felt a bit men's rights. <laughs> um, and some of you are probably going, yeah, it needs to, yeah, yeah, because it is tough to be. That's not the point. It was talking about the patriarchy. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, also. Obviously, it touches upon capitalism, but then kind of throws all of that away because at the end of the day, it is a film made by Mattel about their toy. It, the, the film perfectly parallels the Barbie doll. In that way, they nailed it. In that, it's made with great intentions and then potentially becomes what it's fighting against. Do you know what I mean? Barbie was meant to be this empowering thing and then became an unrealistic stereotype and so on and so forth. The Barbie film was meant to be speaking against... I can't believe a Mattel let them say this stuff. But it doesn't really resolve anything. Like, they go back to just, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make kind of real-world Barbie because it will sell. Um, but now we get to the bit that I found genuinely problematic and troubling and my, my, and my brother kind of highlighted this and I agreed the big ending is that Barbie gets to become a real woman and how she becomes a real woman is by finally g- getting female genitalia I'm sure I've touched upon it in the podcast but most of you will be aware that it has been a torrid time in recent years for the trans community. A real hike in trans panic, transphobia, trans fear, trans abuse, um, trans death, for fuck's sake. And to have the biggest film of the year have the culmination being that kind of the definition of womanhood is female genitalia is deeply troubling, deeply disappointing. Now, caveat. Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, is that the same? Fantastic writers. From what I know, fantastic people. I don't think they would have had any intention. I don't think there will be any ulterior motive here. But I just think as a narrative, it's genuinely troubling and worrisome. Even just from a feminist point of view, because the big joke at the end is she goes and she's having... A checkup. So essentially, kind of identify that now you're a real woman, your main function is to breed, <laughs> which is really fucked up. But I also just think they dropped the ball because they could have done something so amazing. Because throughout this, it's a battle. This whole story is a battle between Barbie, the stereotypical female kind of thing, or no, all sorts. There's a, ver- a variation of Barbies on that side, and there's a variation of Ken's. You know, still the stereotypical male representation, but but a variation. But throughout, they're talking about the fact that none of them have genitalia. So it kind of proves that gender is a construct, right? There's clear genders in this, in this whole story. The whole story is about gender, yet there's no genitalia involved. This could have been a beautiful, powerful thing to talk about trans culture, talk about gender as a construct, 
talk about gender norms, all of these different things. It could have been so powerful. And then at the end, for essentially a throwaway punchline, they yeet all that out the window. And we have the, you are now a real woman. You have female genitalia. And that's sad, man. That made me sad. Um, Because I said there was loads I enjoyed. I loved how it looked. I loved how it sounded. I loved how silly it was. I'm a big fan of Greta and and, and Noah. But yeah, there we go. I left this until the end because I'm aware this might ruin Barbie for a fair few people. (laughs) Some people will be listening and fuck off, you fucking snowflake. And that's cool, man. That's cool. But as I said, I think some people will go, oh, yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? Because as I said, I went and watched it and I had issue, as I said, with some of the, the men's rights feeling stuff. Or just genuinely, <laughs> I've just kind of said, you're going to call me a snowflake. Genuinely, it wasn't lefty enough for me. The big lefty film of the year wasn't lefty enough for me. So I already came out going, yeah, ups and downs. But when this was... this. Part of it was kind of highlighted. And it was immediately after, you know, I, sp- I spoke to my brother. He had already seen it, I believe. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? So apologies if I have r- r- ruined one of your favourite films. <laughs> um, but yeah, just really disappointing. And with that, I will now list 100 films. <laughs> you know... Okay, here's all the films I saw this year in order. New releases. I saw films outside of this year as well, of course. The pa- I'm, I'm, uh, in fact, at the end, I'm going to list the films that I wanted to catch that I haven't caught this year, in case anyone w- 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 wants to say. Did you see this? Did you see this? Right. The Power Blue Eye. N- knock at the Cabin. The Whale. Infinity Pool. Ant-Man Hulkamania. Women Talking, Cocaine Bear, Magic Mike's Last Dance, Empire of Light, Sharper, Creed Three, The Strays, Broker, Luther, Luth Harder, Close, Bank of Dave, Scream 5, Pearl, John Wick 4, Tetris, The Boston Strangler, Palm Trees and Power Lies, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, Air, Operations Fortune, Operation Fortune... I don't even remember when I was. Um, the Super Mario Brothers movie, 1001, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Plain, Polite Society, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Evil Dead Rise, The Mother, Sizu, Fast X, The Covenant, A Good Person, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Bo is Afraid, The Flash, Reality, War Pony, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Missing, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Enjoyed that, by the way. The Night of the Twelfth, Asteroid City, Scrapper, The Beanie Bubble, Rylane, Oppenheimer, Barbie, They Clone Tyrone, Pathan, To Catch a Killer, Talk to Me, Meg 2, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Passages, Past Lives, Chevalier that that should have had a long list mention Um, Haunting in Venice Um, hang on I'm putting a star by it because when I released the genuinely I loved Chevalier Haunting in Venice Rotting in the Sun Accused The Fist of the Condor should also have had a star for fuck's sake sorry I'm adding that The Fist of the Condor was great 
the dumb money, reptile, the creator, the passenger, the conference, salt burn, killers of a flower moon, the killer, a fire, bottoms, how to have sex, EO, apocalypse clown, Eileen, fair play, the marvels, Napoleon, dream scenario, anatomy of the fall, May, December, the lost boys leave the world behind, clock and luder, fingernails, brother, Theatre Camp, Godzilla Minus One, Godland, Maestro, Mother May I, Rebel Moon, The Boy and the Heron, and Rustin. The films I wanted to watch but didn't get round to, Earth Mama, Queendom, The Royal Hotel, Of An Age, Ennies Men, The Damn Don't Cry, Vespa, Lakelands, Strange Darling, A Tiger in Paradise, Fallen Leaves, and Baby Brother. All films that I've wanted to get watched and I will get watched, but I haven't yet. We did it, guys. We did it. We got through 2023. We started 2024 and we have the Films of the Year podcast in the bank. Next year, I've already got some astounding episodes recorded. I wouldn't normally tell you, but we've got... um, Oh, let's have the outro sting and then I'll do the the little post-episode bit. Go on, buddy. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. Yeah, I've got some amazing episodes already recorded for next year. So I mentioned the Andrew Haig one being an absolute highlight of my podcasting career. I adored it. As with Joel Edgerton, really good chat. And it's mad. Like there's a weird, there's a mad bit at the start that you're going to, your mind's going to be blown. That was great. Um, I recorded with Sam, Samuel T. Herring from Future Islands. I really worry that I say future ages several times because the the previously mentioned Natasha Fox used to have a band called Future Ages. So when talking about Future Islands a lot, easy for me to drift into into Future Ages. Um, So I hope I didn't trip up there um uh, recorded an amazing podcast with mm, oh stammer marilyn robertson robertson um that's such a good chat we get some f- f- folklore and comedy all mixed into one and drugs <laughs> hell of an evening who else who else i've just been recording great episodes david holmes Jesus, that's one of the best episodes I've ever recorded, right? If you've not watched it, go and watch David Holmes, The Boy Who Lived. It's a documentary. It was an HBO documentary. David Holmes was Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double in Harry Potter for the whole franchise. And then on the the final film, he, he... got a horrific injury his story is amazing he is an amazing sh- human i plan on keeping him um in my life <laughs> he you know you, you you often have these conversations like well that's banked M- move on david is someone i definitely want to keep in touch with i think he's an astounding person so that episode's amazing so many good episodes to come i'm telling you there's a couple also that might I've not recorded yet, but might come out before some of the ones I've recorded because they're time sensitive that I've got lined up. But yeah, anyway, I'll wrap things up there, guys. 
as you will have heard at the start of this episode, I was a bit on the kind of, it's been a hell of a year, guys. But just talking about these films has got me with a big old smile on my face, man. So um, I'm grateful for you guys for listening. And I'm just grateful to have cinema in my life. Because through the good times and the bad times... Yeah, it enriches my life. I don't see it as a escape or distraction because th- that would s- uh, 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 suggest it's not a fucking key part of my life, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm all about it. I've just climbed through a bush to take the, f- the photo. I thought it'd be good to be over a field, but it's just a muddy field. It's going to be a shit photo, guys. Anyway... You're all beautiful. I'm excited to start another year of distraction pieces with you lot. As said, I'm sure I'll post the picture at some point on socials. I don't know where. I only really use Instagram stories these days, if it's, if, if if anything. But I do use the Patreon and the Discord. So um, I'll sling it up there at least, you know, at some point. I'll be back next week with the amazing chat I had with jo- Joel Edgerton. We've not had a week off, lads. You've seen a lot of these fucking half-ass podcasts releasing multiple best-of episodes for the last couple of weeks. I've been there for you day in, day out. Because I love you. I love you dearly. Oh, I'm so tempted to do an Adam Buxton I love you by then because I'm in the field. But yeah, we ain't stopping either. As said... An amazing first guest to start the year with. Proper. Next year, next year, next week. So until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta. Again, I almost did it. I love you, bye. I almost did it. I thought about it. I think you sensed it in me. I think you sensed it in me. But I'm not going to. Because that is Adams. And I love Adam dearly. All right. I love you, bye. Stay stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.